This is Need to Know. Real talk about the reality of unidentified aerial phenomena. From Australia, Ross Coltart. From the US, Bryce Zabel. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Need to Know. We're literally doing this within 24 hours of the release to Congress of the UAP, the Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena Report to Congress, which was tabled in the Congress finally, I think either on the evening of Friday the 12th or the morning of Friday the 13th. I can't figure it out where I am in Australia, but it's an auspicious moment because this is the the one of the very first reports from the UAP task force known as ARO, A-A-R-O, the um, all-domain anomalous... Oh, Christ, Bryce, help me here. I've forgotten. <laughs> I keep on forgetting. What is it ARO? It's the, the all-domain anomalous resolution, anomaly resolution office. All-domain oh, anomaly resolution office. Such, such a simple acronym. It just rolls off the tongue. I... It's fantastic. <laughs> I just wanted to point out, as you were saying that, though, um, let's let's be clear. This thing was mandated by law to be delivered on October 31st. And so we thought when it was late, well, it'll be a few days. They'll come up with it. It actually took them 73 days um, to, to come up with this. And by the way, what a difference a week makes, Ross. We were on here last week apologizing that we'd been off for too long because we were on holiday. And and since we've been back, now we're we're on within less than a week. And since we were on, uh, McCarthy is now the speaker and the House is busy investigating whatever they're going to investigate. Uh, Biden has uh, documents that were hidden just like uh, Trump did. And uh, and the rain stopped here. So, yeah, a lot a lot has gone down. But this thing, man. uh, okay, I wanted more. I didn't get what I wanted exactly. But as we break this down, I think there are some things that are probably worth mentioning from it. Now, listen, I thought quite an auspicious time to start, way to start this would be to talk about the fact that it's Friday the 13th in America, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Do you know the origins of Friday the 13th? I, I don't, but be, and you're going to tell us, but one quick question, do they have, a, do you guys in Australia have a Friday the 13th kind of Yeah, we do. Thing? Yeah, yeah, it's recognized all over the world. Okay. And the reason people talk about Friday the 13th being a day of bad luck is because on this day in 13 Pope Clement and King Philip had the leader of the Knights Templar arrested and along with other knights burned at the stake. And as he was dying, the lead knight cursed them from the stake and both were dead within a year. Hence the origins of Friday the 13th being a day of bad luck. And it reminded me, it's a good way of kicking off this episode. It reminded me of the notorious debunker, the skeptic Philip Klass, you know, his UFO curse. This is what he said after his death. He cursed ufologists and he said, no matter how long you live, you will never know any more about UFOs than you know today. You will never know any more about what UFOs really are or where they come from. You will never know any more about what the US government really knows about UFOs than you know today. As you lie on your own deathbed, you will be as mystified about UFOs as you are today. And you will remember this curse, said Philip Klass. Well, 
That is a great rendition of what Philip Klaff said. <laughs> I didn't like it when he said it. I don't like to hear it anymore uh, now because the truth of the matter is uh, there are a lot of people that know a lot about this topic now. Uh, they just haven't shared their work over the years. And I think that part of the concern here was, were we actually going to get a report that began to peel back the onion a little bit and lets the government show some of the work it's been going through th for the past 80 years. I don't think this particularly does it, but if I could just sort of do the hits, runs, and airs for a moment. Um, it is a, I forget how many pages, I guess with the it's 11 pages with the appendix, but there apparently have been 366 new cases since that preliminary report that had come out uh, in, uh, in June of 2021. Of those 366, uh, as they break it down, 26 were what they would call drones. 163 were balloons or balloon-like uh, entities, I guess. Six were clutter in the air like birds or weather or debris. And, uh, you know, well, that sounds a little depressing. 47%, 47% of the new cases were the so-called un characterized and unaffiliated cases, which we'll have to say are unknown. And that means half the cases that are breaking, that they're finding with their sensors and the radar and all of these things that we have to go look for these things, 47% of them, half of them are unidentified. So that's that, that is significant. And, and I think what's also significant before we even get into the nitty gritty of this report is the mere fact that the Congress is receiving reports on UAPs, unidentified anomalous phenomena, the mere fact that this is a public document, that there are now reports on CNN, the New York Times, Politico, CBS, ABC, NBC, the fact that this is being engaged with by mainstream media and even being talked about is a light year paradigm leap. It's very, very important. And I, I know I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. Yeah. The, the one thing that we often feel feel as a sense of despondency, knowing what we believe we know right. about what's really going on inside the US government. A sense of despondency often hits a lot of us that, you know, really not much is happening. You know, it's all going to be put back in the box. Uh, whatever disclosure will happen is going to be underwhelming. But really, this is significant. We should stop and take stock of the fact oh, here sure. that, that the mere fact that there is a public document tabled in the Congress that is actually investigating this issue, tabulating UAP reports, UFO reports, and actually taking the issue seriously, this is a big moment. This is yeah. important. And frankly, okay, it's a dog turd of a report. Frankly, I think it was written. In, it was written in the. It was written in the. Is that a technical Congress. Term? Dog turd of a report. It was. It was. It was I, I literally think whoever wrote this report basically wrote it on his lap, sitting in the loo in Congress before he bolted into the well, Senate Intelligence Committee. You know, it's. It really is. It could have been written on the on, on the well, fly, sitting on the steps of the Congress uh, before you bolted in. Well, the office, as you've pointed out in some of our previous shows, has not been well staffed and is staffing up even as we speak. You know, the other thing is, I agree with you, there's some media things we should talk about. Let's table those for a moment and focus on explaining what the report is or says or whatever, and then talk about how it was covered. But 
Okay, yeah, I guess uh, there are. there's an argument to be made for the dog turd theory of this report. The truth is, it is a little bit like uh, paint drying. It is not exciting. Given what the topic is, it ought to be a lot more exciting. I found a couple of uh, things as I read it. The, f the first thing was they, by reducing it only to the numbers and throwing in a whole lot of bureaucratic kind of uh, language in, in terms of their descriptions, it does make it a lot more boring read. You have to really go in and pull out things to get excited about. One of the things I thought for future reports, or maybe they didn't do it for a reason, but if you're going to say that uh, 171 new cases that are unidentified have occurred since the last report, can't we get a little taste of what some of those were? Why not tell us some of the examples? Why not lay that out? Because I guarantee yeah. I have a lot of friends who, if I start talking about a report, uh, they're like, well, okay, whatever, you know, and, and if I give them some numbers, then that's interesting. Maybe you got something there. But if you start telling yeah, people the actual cases, they start to freak yeah. out because these are unusual cases. I agree. I mean, there's no explanation here of the methodology, and, and that's important, particularly with these 171 unexplained sightings, quote, some of which appear to have demonstrated unusual flight characteristics or performance capabilities. It's very, very important because in the methodology, I'm sure there's a methodology, or at least I hope there is a methodology that the UAP task force is using. There's some good people on that task force. There's some very dedicated people who are genuinely trying to get to the right. answers. And the thing that, for example, really irritated me is that 163 of the investigated um, sightings were labelled balloons or balloon-like entities. What the hell does that mean? What is a balloon-like well, entity? Uh, okay. First of all, balloons have been part of ufology for years, going back uh, really to the 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 Roswell case, where uh, first it was a flying disc, and then the government said, "No, it's a it's a weather balloon." So, weather balloons, balloons uh, are certainly loaded words. But another loaded word is entity. What a weird choice of of a way to describe it: balloon-like entities. When I think Actually, of entities. What that, what that yeah, what that yeah. tells me, Bryce, is they don't know what it is, and, right. and unless they explain, unless they explain their methodology, I mean, to me, bloom-like right. entities is a bit like saying, "Oh, it's a, it's a something, something." You know, it's yeah. kind of like a balloony sort of thingy, bobbity, wobbity, wobbity. But that, I've explained it now, so go away and leave me alone and let me get on with doing what I've been doing for the last seventy years, which is covering this issue up. Well, it, I really think we have to call it. I mean, I, I'm not yeah. questioning the motives of the individuals that run the AARO because I'm I'm hearing good things about them. I'm hearing that they are dedicated people who are doing good work. But you can't do anything about the dead hand of the Pentagon PR machine that wants to dampen this down. And that's my concern. And Chris Mellon, the, the former um, Deputy Assistant um, Secretary of Defence for Intelligence and Security, he, he made this comment about the report. He said, the government has again demonstrated its unique and uncanny ability to transform an inherently fascinating topic into vexing bureaucratic jargon. If the intent was to make the report as anodyne, unremarkable, and boring as possible, the authors did exceptionally well. I say this partly in jest, but in truth it appears efforts were made to minimise the impact of the data. 
For example, there's an incredibly stark contrast between the stunning testimony of UAP capabilities reported by Navy pilots, for example, something not from this earth, and the flaccid, lovely language, flaccid UAP report language, which by contrast asserts some of these uncharacterized UAP appear to have demonstrated unusual flight characteristics or performance capabilities and require further analysis. Pretty boring that stuff. Sounds like one of those AI computer voices reading a book or something. It's <laughs> nicely done. Listen, I talked to Chris Mellon today before we went on, and uh, you know that is pretty much his point of view. However, I, I also sense that he reads the thing as some of uh, some a lot of people do, and say there's some buried things that are. And I want to reference what you had talked about earlier, where you said, "Well, it is kind of interesting that they're even doing this." When you get to the summary of this thing, and we'll go back into the details, but the summary actually bolds three different things that that they're talking about, which actually are the change that you were. Uh, talking about. The first was UAP continue to represent a hazard to flight safety and pose a possible adversary collection threat. Well, that's that's pretty stunning for the government to say, okay, we, they're still not saying what it is, but they're saying it's a hazard of flight safety. That's interesting. Then the second was Arrow has been established as the DOD focal point for UAP. Now, we are getting to the place where in that simple sentence, there are three things people could go, what is that? Arrow is the all domain anomaly resolution office, which at this point is sort of the uh, wellhead, if you will, of all things ufological in the government, or at least they say. DOD, of course, Department of Defense, UAP used to be unidentified aerial phenomena. Now they're calling it unidentified anomalous phenomena. Okay, that was number two. Number three, coordinated efforts between the DOD, the IC, that's the intelligence community, and other government agencies to collect and report UAP events have resulted in increased data sets spanning multiple security domains. So let me break that down into English. First, they're saying these things could potentially be scary and dangerous. One. Two, um, we've got a place where we're trying to get everybody to talk to at the same time so that we can draw some conclusions. And three, we are coordinating efforts uh, between all these people so that we can get more data. You know, we can put more data in so that can we get more conclusions out. If all of that is true, you know, that's nice. I don't know that it's an update because we've sort of known that's been happening. But again, it's not the worst news in the world. It's It's good to see the government instead of saying nothing to see here, which they've done for since like 1969, it's it's nice to see them admitting there is indeed something to see there. And it's a threat. Need to Know continues in a moment. There's a couple of things that are buried in here, and I think... You, you also have to add the weight of Granny New York Times to this because they've mm. had background briefings from Ron Moultrie for that special press, press briefing that happened back late, late, late last year. The New York Times and indeed this report make much of the fact that a lot of the prosaically explained sightings by uh, after investigation have come out to be Chinese drones. Now, that's really interesting, and I'm, I'm waiting to see what our friend and colleague Jeremy Corbell comes up with in response to that, because 
whatever the hell those drones are, yes, I, I do think that some of the objects that were seen by the US Navy off the California coast, especially in that 2018-2019 uh, period that Jeremy featured in some of his uh, exposés, they, they are clearly drone objects. You can see them in the photographs. But there are clear bits of evidence that um, have come out, not just from Jeremy, but from other sources in those sightings, which suggest that whatever these drones were or are, they're doing things that just aren't normal drones. They're, they're, they're moving and doing manoeuvres that are quite extraordinary. They're operating far out in the ocean with no apparent base from whence they come. Um, whatever the hell this is, the implications of this report in terms of just simple analogue human technology are awesome because it does mean that right. what this UAP report has exposed is that the Pentagon is leading us to the line that there is some kind of unknown Chinese technology which is capable of buzzing US Navy vessels with impunity and that in and of itself is an enormous national security threat that we now only know about because of this UAP report investigation. And so in that alone, Arrow has proved its worth. And, and this is where, even though we gave them an F last week, I give them a pass mark on doing things that are creditable in, in terms of alerting the Pentagon to threats that, think frankly, I think was sitting under the radar. I'm going to so stipulate everything you just said and still tell you why I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry about the context. We cannot keep laying, okay, there are Chinese drones. Uh, they're an adversary. Uh, they're messing around in our protected airspace, quite probably. It's good that we know that. But that doesn't explain the phenomena. Because, folks, there were no Chinese drones in 1947 and in the 1950s. And if there were drones and there weren't, they weren't doing these improbable and impossible maneuvers out there. So, again, what the report has as its essential flaw that hopefully will be fixed going forward is a sense of context. You know, how would Chinese drones explain the thousands and thousands of cases in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, aughts. What about all those cases? What about them? So I will just say, okay, that's my, that's my rant for the day. Here's, here's the lighter moment. Uh, our, you were talking about our friend. Uh, here's another friend of ours, Gary Nolan. And I, I thought I saw his tweet and I thought it was really funny and at the same time, incredibly insightful. Uh, his tweet was, chat GPT prompt. And of course, he's talking about artificial intelligence, uh, an AI that can write things. And anyway, this is what the prompt was. Write a 2022 UAP report with as few <laughs> specifics as you can and hide the anomalous findings in a paragraph as an obtuse reference deep in the output. Well, that's kind of what it looks like to me. I mean, it almost has that to be honest with you, Ross, an AI would have written a livelier report. I, I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. Now, listen, one of the things last week that we were lamenting was that all of the politicians in Congress who'd previously espoused a great interest in UAPs had suddenly gone quiet for the last six months. And I want to put it on record that there's been some really interesting comments from a lot of the major players in the last day or so. 
Mike Gallagher, the, the person who actually put the representative who put the UAP clauses, the, the new mm -hmm. clauses into the National Defence Authorisation Act passed in December. Um, he put a statement out after the release of the UAP report. He said, the DNI's most recent UAP report reinforces what we already know, that we must figure out what our military aviators are observing in our airspace. The whistleblower protections, and he's talking about these new laws that have been put into the Defence Authorisation Act, recently passed into law, are an essential step forward to solving this decades-long mystery and will ensure that those entrusted with defending America from potential threats have all the required information historical context and scientific resources to do so. Now, that, that's a very positive thing. The mere fact that Mike Gallagher is still prepared to speak out publicly and espouse support for probing investigations into the UAP issue, that really matters. Um, I, I also want to put on the record that Senator Mark Warner, the Senate Intelligence Chair, he's also said today's report reflects a step forward in understanding and addressing risks to aviators. Overall, I'm encouraged to see an increase in UAP reporting, a sign of decreased stigma among pilots who are aware of the potential threat that UAPs can pose. I'm proud to have passed language in the Financial Year 23 Intelligence Authorization Act that will empower the all-domain Anomaly Resolution Office, Arrow, to rigorously investigate and bring resources to bear on this challenge. I look forward to seeing continued cooperation between the Department of Defence, the intelligence community, and other key government partners as we work to focus resources on UAP reports that remain uncharacterised and unattributed. They've still got right. their teeth in the game, Bryce. They're it's not dropping this. It sounds lovely, uh, and and I I take no exception with that. I'm glad that uh, uh, that kind of dialogue is out there. I just have a question, and it's a, it's a hypothetical, but it kind of goes to the essence of what we're we're living through with these reports, of which we're supposed to get one every year from now on. Let's say that last month an Air Force pilot uh, or a, or a Navy pilot uh, going about their business had an up close encounter with uh, some kind of anomalous craft. And the craft clearly was not a Chinese drone. It was huge. It was uh, doing incredible maneuvers. And in fact, uh, he got this pilot, uh, he or she got uh, images of it that were crystal clear. And in fact, when you looked at those images, you saw somebody inside this craft, an occupant that certainly didn't look like a human being. Would it be in this report? No. It wouldn't be in this report. So how do we ever get to the bottom of the more esoteric parts if whenever we encounter them, those are called classified. There's not even the, a, a, an attempt to describe that they exist. They just go into the classified report. The Congress looks at them. How are the people to hear about the really good cases? Uh, do we have to do all of this ourselves? Uh, can we not count on the government with all its sensors and data to, to help us out a little bit? Why, why does it have to be this way? Bryce, I actually think what you're raising here is fundamentally important. 
I think, frankly, I'm increasingly coming to the view that the naive idea that we're going to be spoon-fed some kind of disclosure on UAPs by the political representatives right. of the US people in the Congress is utterly naive. The idea that the intelligence community and the Defence Department is somehow going to fess up and admit that there's been a massive cover-up going back decades, it ain't going to happen. No. And more importantly, even the National Defence Authorization Act and uh, Intelligence Act requirements for UAPs that have now been passed into law, all they're really mandating is that Congress be informed about secret programs that may or may not exist in relation to recovered technology, UAP crashes, which in and of itself is amazing. I still, every now and then I just pull out the um, I pull out the congressional record and look at the wording of the legislation that has been passed by the US Congress referring to recovered technology, back-engineered technology relating to UAPs. You have the, the US Congress making specific written references right. in laws to their suspicion that somewhere inside the intelligence or defense community of the United States, there are people holding secrets that have been illegally and properly withheld from the public. That's just extraordinary. And I, I think we do owe it to ourselves to remind ourselves of just how momentous that is. But I do think the notion that this is somehow you're going to get some intelligence official sitting down in a church committee style hearing and going, oh, yeah, you know, We've been lying to you guys for 30, 40 years, <laughs> well, 70 years, actually. Um, you know, I just don't think that's ever going to happen. And I, I think, yeah. frankly, what is going to make a difference is a slow waking up by the public, a slow realisation right. that, that, you know, at the same time, we can move now, I think, from the very limited amount of detail that we've got in the UAP report to the media coverage thereof. But let this, me just let me just throw one thought in. I agree, we should. But I just to build on what you just said, what we are really seeing and what you're calling for and what you're saying is the potential solution is, uh, if I can borrow from my Hollywood days here, um, you're thinking that we're living through a slow dissolve. Uh, and, and what a lot of people would prefer is we had a hard cut, right? Absolutely. I know I would. I would like it if somebody could just say, okay, yeah, uh, just confirming this stuff is real. We're not going to tell you all the details yet, but yeah, you're not crazy if you know about it. But we're not getting that. That would be the hard cut. So instead, we're getting the slow dissolve where we have to think about it. And, you know, just so people are clear, there are a lot of different things at work here. There's this report that Ross and I have been talking about that was due on October 31st. Finally, 73 days later has come out. And it's not all that impressive. It's not telling us a lot of things we don't know. But as Ross and I were talking about last week, there is also the National Defense Authorization Act that just passed uh, this last month and was signed by the president. And that one is the one that calls for the protections for whistleblowers, et cetera. And we had quoted, um, uh, excuse me, Chris Mellon earlier. This is what he was saying about the NDAA as opposed to the report. He said, the American public can reasonably expect to get some answers to questions that have been burning in the minds of millions of Americans for many years. If nothing else, this should either clear up something that's been a cloud hanging over the Air Force and Department of Defense for decades, or it might lead in another direction, which could be truly incredible, his words, not mine. And he ends with, there's a lot at stake. And I say, amen, brother, amen. 
You know, it's funny when I when I read Chris Mellon's comments, his key takeaways from the ODNI report. I kind of read it and I thought, oh yeah, that's the sort of thing Chris would say. And then I, I, I made that journalist's mistake of not going to the final paragraph. You should always read the last line first in any press release because it's where the politicians always hide stuff that right. they're a little bit sensitive about. So I went to the very last line in Chris's statement and this is what he said. Having participated in de debriefs of military aviators and radar operators, um, I believe this is a genuine possibility. And, and he's talking in terms of um, uh, national security benefiting. Indeed, I've spoken to several credible people who claim the US has evidence of alien technology in its possession. And he finishes with, these are indeed exciting times. <laughs> so, now, you know, that's a hell of a clangor. That is yeah. a hell of a clanger from a guy who used to be, I think, the number three person in the Pentagon cleared to know the secrets of the Pentagon. It's pretty amazing that, that somebody that with that level of seniority is describing that he's spoken to credible people who claim the US has evidence of alien technology in its possession. Because remember... Ron Moultrie and Scott Bray, when they gave evidence in May last year, in 2022, specifically denied categorically that the United States is in possession of any non-human technology. So we now have a dichotomy. You have a yep. member of the defence intelligence industry, uh, government, government agency, basically categorically denying that we have such things. And you have Chris Mellon asserting that he's spoken to credible witnesses who say they have. We now have legislation in the Congress, which is mandating that the intelligence and defense community tell the truth about this. It's really quite an extraordinary time, to be honest it with is. you, Bryce. I mean, it's momentous what we're seeing here. It is a momentous time. And, and you know, um, I just want to go back to that report for a moment. We started out, and, of course, I, you came up with the famous dog, what what do you call it? Dog, dog turd, yeah. A dog turd. <laughs> we had the famous dog turd analysis. I forgive, but, for, please, I, I, know, I know a lot of you Americans get offended by our Australian tendency for vulgarity and swearing. And I've we've been spanked a few times by people on our YouTube channel who say that I should just shut up oh. and stop swearing so much. But, but I, frankly, it's the way Australians talk, and I'm not going to apologize for the vernacular. It's uh, I love it's your our vulgarity. Way of I love your vulgarity and swearing, and that's why we're good friends. So don't uh, don't apologize to me. I think it's uh, it's what sets us apart. What I was just going to say though is there's a danger here too. I know a lot of people are turning on to this topic, and you're you're starting to go, wow, there's really something going on here. And I I just want to uh, tell people that not just to watch podcasts, our podcast, somebody else's, or or read coverage of reports. You know, this report is available. You can get it online. You can read it with your own eyes. And I guess I would say the same thing. It's the equivalent of read for yourself if you can. If you got the time, uh, take your your own knowledge up a level. And it's like, um, you know, a review of a book is interesting, but the book itself is where you're really going to 
learn more. So I just think all of us, uh, since we can't really count on the government to do all the work for us, we've got to do it ourselves. It is good that the government has set up some of these institutions and God bless the NDAA language and everything. And I hope what that means is that as these institutions sort of have changed and are, are being more open to pulling in data, I hope people will now say, okay, let's push those institutions. Let's do our own work. Let's bring our own game up. Because eventually, uh, when that happens, uh, a, a report of this level won't cut it for the majority of people. But instead, and I'll, I'll transition to our media thing, instead, a lot of the articles that got written about it focused on those drones and the Chinese drone stuff and and made it sound like, yeah, nothing to see here. So I, I, I feel like uh, there's a lot of room for improvement. It's not just in the government, it's in the media, and it's even in us, those of us who are paying attention to it. We can all bring the game up a little bit. Stay with us. We're back in a moment because you need to know. Around about, uh, I think it's datelined 7.53 a.m. Eastern time in the U.S., January, uh, Friday 13th, the New York Times wrote this story by a general feature reporter called Remy Tuman. And the, the headline, it's probably backwards on YouTube, is Did Aliens Land on Earth in 1945? A Defense Bill Seeks Answers. And frankly, it's a very even-handed, straight report of the enormous implications of the issues we're talking about, Bryce. And I think it needs to be put on record that um, the New York Times has finally, since the great work done by Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal, it's it's actually reversed a, a propensity to basically play down the phenomenon and acknowledged what we all know, which is that there is now a reality here that cannot be ignored, that in legislation, in black and white, the Congress is clearly suspicious that the United States defense and intelligence community is hiding something. It's lying. And so you know, this, is, this is the gray lady. This is the New York Times basically saying, we are reporting a valid story that Congress now wants answers. That's why this whole year is going to be very, very interesting because there are reporting requirements on the AARO, the Pentagon's UAP investigation office, and they are going to have to fess up if they are hiding something. Okay, um, Ross, uh, you know, a lot of people who probably watch us think, well, these guys work it all out ahead of time. They know who's going to say what, and it's all scripted. No, because I'm going to disagree with you right now about that New York Times article. I went ballistic over this thing. I freaking really? hated it. And here's why. In the first few sentences, in the, uh, the blurb they put under the photo, and in the second paragraph of the article itself, they call people who are interested in this topic. That is you, me, the people who are listening. If you're listening right now to this podcast, I want you to know that the New York Times thinks you are a, quote, flying saucer fan or a conspiracy theorist or a UFO enthusiast. It is so yeah. Freaking insulting. And it reminds me that George Carlin, the famous uh, comedian, did an entire riff uh, 
uh, in his uh, career on the UFO topic. And among the things that he took them to task for was he was tired of being called a UFO buff, like it wasn't something serious. This New York Times article doesn't even mention the word UAP there. It says flying saucer fans, conspiracy theorists, UFO enthusiasts, and in addition to that, did aliens land on Earth in 1945, blah, blah, blah. They state as fact, as fact, that the Roswell object turned out to be a top secret U.S. military balloon. That is not a fact. Uh, there's nothing factual about that. That is one uh, explanation that the government has offered out of four explanations over the years. And obviously, the writer of this article, uh, Remy Tumla, didn't know that. She's new to the topic, I guess, didn't know that. And they say again in that very first paragraph that Roswell, you know, was just a balloon. So you were hearing about crash wreckage, and the New York Times is parroting that back. Now, okay, I said my can, last can one. I, can, I, can, I, can I just respond to what you just said then, Bryce? I mean, yeah, I, I actually do agree with you. And in fact, I was going to make some of the points you've just made okay, myself. Right. What I want to add to what you've just said yeah. is that continuing the tradition of the apologia for the Pentagon PR people, Julian Barnes, the New York Times national security reporter, on the 12th of January, on, I think it was on the evening before this Remy Tuman story ran, he did his own report, uh, curtain raising the uh, coming UAP report. And he, he said things like, the failure to categorize many incidents has frustrated intelligence officials and fueled conspiracy theories. But Pentagon officials say the incomplete findings are a result of inadequate sensor collection, not evidence of advanced technology or any sort of government cover-up. He's doing his very best on behalf of the Pentagon to dampen down speculation. And I'm really sorry. I, I think we have to call the New York Times out on this. The yeah. grey lady is being disingenuous. He also said things like, with the release of any government report on UFOs, officials hope the information will quell speculation around the unexplained incidents. But such hopes are inevitably dashed because incidents that cannot be categorized fuel new rounds of speculation and conspiracy. So the deep implication, of course, is that all of this UFO, UAP nonsense is just that, a baseless conspiracy. Right. Who needs Pentagon PR when you've got Julian Barnes of the New York Times to do the lickspittle work of the intelligence <laughs> community? Yeah. I mean, what he conceded was in the UAP report, those unexplained incidents. He then goes on to downplay them as wacky speculation, essentially by us tinfoil hat nutters. He says, a portion of those unexplained incidents that demonstrate unusual flight characteristics, well, they will get further study, according to the report. But the report doesn't outline, he says, how many incidents fall under that category, an omission likely to stoke further speculation by people who have embraced explanations such as otherworldly visitors or advanced unknown technology by adversarial powers. The whole thing is a dead hand. And this is what the grey lady right. does all the time. The New York right. Times, you know, it's allowed Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal because it was a very legitimate series of stories to report the fact that the Pentagon was secretly investigating UFOs, UAPs. But ever since then, ever since 2017, under the dead hand influence of the Pentagon, the public has been told 
in the um, Remy Tumin article and also in the Julian Barnes article and also in the Holman Jen Jenkins article in the Wall Street Journal, there's been this very clear directorial line where national security correspondents for the two major newspapers in Washington they're, they're made, it's made very, very clear to them. I've been on the receiving end of these kinds of briefings. If you don't toe the line, if you don't parrot what right. you're told by your defence in, intelligence sources, you don't get fed in future. So they're doing what they're being told. They're essentially participating in a dampening down of this idea, preparing the public for the idea that this is all just conspiracy nonsense. Don't you worry. Eventually, we're going to be able to prosaically explain all of these objects. These people who are making these wacky claims of otherworldly visitors, which we're not, by the way, we're just saying it's a mystery. Right. These people who are suggesting that there's a real mystery there, Tell them to go away because ultimately it's just a wacky conspiracy. Trust us, we're the military. I, yeah. Well, listen, uh, just to follow up on that and, and what I was saying, the article, I, I put my glasses on and it's Remy Tumin, T-U-M-I-N, who actually uh, wrote this article. And here's what's interesting about the article. It's it's a bifurcated article. The first part of it is insulting, as I already told you. The, fair, the you know the the blurb that was written for the photo in those first two sentences or paragraphs, but then it gets into a little more even-handed and and kind of interesting stuff. And it made me wonder if this is an example of where uh, possibly this uh, author Remy Tuman wrote a good article and then the editors uh, put their own spin on top of it. That does happen. And uh, frankly, I may call her up and ask about that. But I just want to say one thing to the New York Times. Editors, reporters, everybody else at the New York Times. The, sometimes we've had as many as a million people watching one of these things. We have a lot of people that watch. They leave comments, hundreds, sometimes thousands of comments on these these. Uh, need to know uh, podcasts and, and videos that we've made. Those people and Ross and I are definitively not flying saucer fans. We are not conspiracy theorists. We are not UFO enthusiasts. What we are are UAP researchers and investigators. And there is a big difference. And if you want your credibility to continue, New York Times, you have to figure out how to get away from those stereotypes that used to exist. And you have to start treating the people who care about this issue with some more respect. Because if you don't respect us, we are not going to respect you. I think you're right. I think as we've observed in previous podcasts, Bryce, this is a lamentable failure by much of the mainstream media. They've allowed themselves to be led by the nose. And the thing that I find fascinating, and I really do feel this very strongly, is that citizen journalism, citizen activism is going to be what eventually reveals this issue. Yeah. I don't think we're going to get to hear a lot of what's revealed in camera, in confidence, in secure compartmentalised information facilities inside the Congress. I don't think those skiffs are going to release the information willingly. I think it will eventually leak. I think this stuff is going to start dribbling out. You know, I'm hearing stories that people have come forward to congressional committees with amazing allegations, claims that should now be properly investigated by the AARO. But it's incumbent on people watching this and listening this to tell the congressional representatives, but more importantly, 
maybe the mainstream media, the legacy media, that they need to wake up to the fact that they can belittle and mock and ridicule this subject matter as much as they like, but we're not going away. Well, that's a good place for us to end, Ross. We're not going to go away. We're going to keep doing this as regularly as we can. And we're going to hold people accountable. When people do good work, we're going to praise it. When they do silly coverage, we're going to condemn it. And uh, we'll be back. So I say, let's say goodnight. Because you, the public, everyone has the need to know. Need to Know is a joint production of Stellar Productions and Powerful Owl Productions. I'm producer Rich Johnson, and you can learn more at needtoknow.today. That's needtoknow.today. Need to Know.